Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast. On a Tuesday, we're going to talk some USC off-season workouts, Trojan football, of course. Will there be a season? We're going to talk about all of that with Dan Weber and Keely Ewer on this episode of the podcast. Really, really thank you for joining us and talking USC football during this long off-season, which we hope ends in some football in 2020. If you have any questions for the show, podcast at uscfootball.com or call or text us 424-254-9141 and please if you have the apple podcasting app on any of your devices leave us a five-star rating positive reviews are great or if you want to you know five stars and give a little criticism of the show whatever you want but those five stars are really important it really helps to grow the show so we appreciate you sending those in and helping us out if you have a question for that put them on the uh on the apple podcasting app the former itunes and we'll make sure to answer those right at the top of the show. All right. Well, let's bring in first Keely Yor. How are you doing, Keely? Hello, hello. Doing well. Happy to podcast another week with you guys. Every week is a win, right? The more yeah. we're doing this, it's a win. Uh, sure. Sure. We're out there. Follow her on Twitter at Keely is my name. We also got Dan Weber on the line. Hello, Dan. Hey. Uh, just happy to be doing anything in the off season that never will end. It, it appears <laughs> it just. Uh, a full I mean I'm thinking you could have a full 12 months plus off season this uh, year. <laughs> That's not what we want to hear, Dan. We don't we're, this is not where no. we're uh Sorry, did I just hear Dan Weber say that? I just want to make sure I'm I'm hearing yeah. things correctly. We have to balance off Keeley's negativity. <laughs> we have to be we have to be the voice of reason, positivity mm, out there. Okay. But you're right. Yeah, there there that could be a really long off season, which we're hoping uh, is not going to happen. We got some newsy stuff to kind of get to today. I mean, we've already talked on the show uh, yesterday. I had Harvey Hyde on about the Pac-12 going to conference-only schedule. Um, the SEC earlier today they backed off some of their other sports, delaying them at least a month. But no football news yet. They're gonna they're gonna take their sweet time there. But eventually, I think they're gonna do the same things. We'll get to all of that uh, in a minute. Uh, but I want to start off with those reviews we talked about on. Apple Podcast. Keely, I think we got a couple new ones. Yeah, we have two new ones. So thank you guys for that. Sasko Man says, uh, he gave us five stars, says, loving it. If you want to know what's going on with USC football, you need to listen. Very knowledgeable staff. And Keely is the bomb. So look at that. Mm-hmm. Last week I didn't get a shout out. This week I did. So Wait, thanks, Sasko Keely Man. is the bomb? What is yeah. it? That's a uh, real yeah. review? I'm not making this up. You spelled my name wrong, but thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> Yeah, and then the other one was very long, but gave us all uh, very nice uh, compliments. So thank you, Bill, class of 94, as well, for the five stars. Thank you, Bill, for that. We do appreciate that. So thanks again uh, for doing all that. We also want to thank our sponsor, Trader Joe's. Uh, Every week I do like to go to TraderJoe's.com and check out the website before I go in there and do my shopping. Um, Man, something stood out to me. Like, obviously, I think our buddies there might know that I like these kind of things. It's a Cocoa Crunch milkshake. So they're showing like these chocolate milkshakes with whipped cream on top and chocolate dripping down the sides and little chocolate beads all over the place. Uh, That really looks amazing. It takes about 20 minutes to make according to the website. But 
They use the uh, Midnight Moo chocolate-flavored syrup, which if you've ever had that on your ice cream, it's really good from Trader Joe's. Um, and you have the uh, gluten-free for Keely, uh, Cocoa Crunch cereal. Okay. Uh, so you use that. You have a cup of that in it, but you also garnish it with that. So you put the little Cocoa Crunch cereal on top. Uh, TJ's whole milk and uh, chocolate whole milk uh, with fair trade cocoa. And then TJ's ultimate uh, ultra chocolate ice cream with some whipped cream. So boom, you put it all together and you get these uh, amazing looking milkshakes. So I, I recommend that you know, before I go shopping there, I like to go to the website because then I find things like that. I'm like, I'm going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that seems very chocolatey. I also like how just hearing all your recommendations, I think people can understand at this point that you're very much a sweet tooth, Ryan. You oh, like very your... much. <laughs> I like them. I like what? Yeah, I don't know. You're more than you, right, Keely? You're not much of a sweet. Yeah, tooth. I like like savory things more than sweet. I think I'll take yeah. whatever. All of it is good. <laughs> it's all good. But thanks again uh, to Trader Joe's for that. Okay, so phase three of these off-season workouts bringing student-athletes back to campus started on Monday. If you remember, Keely talked about Phase 2 being delayed a couple days starting last Wednesday. Not much time getting into Phase 3, but we got a little bit of a stutter step, Keely, where the state of California on Monday, the day USC brings everyone back, freshmen on campus, now there's uh, more shutdowns going on. Gyms are closed. So what is the latest that you have heard about USC stage three? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was bad news for USC because phase three was basically having everyone back who wanted to be back. They're still in voluntary workouts, but basically LA County followed uh, Gavin Newsom's lead and started shutting things back now back down. And the thing is, is that, College, uh, college athletics as well as high school athletics have not received a, a directive specifically on what they should be doing, either from the county level or from the state level. So USC kind of had their hands tied and based on the new guidance from the county, uh, defaulted to uh, closing their indoor gyms and, and fitness centers based on, on what they were rec recommending. So uh, it's Interesting time for USC. They moved everything outside, so now they're doing outside workouts. They're just jumping through another hurdle. Um, it sounded like at first that they thought they were going to have to shut down workouts entirely, but they were able to fix that and just move outside. So it's kind of like PRPs or things that they would normally be doing in July, um, maybe a more SEC type of workout, doing it all outside. So it's interesting for USC. It sounds like they will have more clarity from uh, both the county and the state by the end of the week. And the way things are trending coronavirus-wise, it just doesn't seem like a, a good development, obviously. USC is trying to do things right. They got their uh, coronavirus test back last Friday, uh, four total positives out of three weeks of testing. So they've been doing a good jo job, all things considered. But uh, this new directive from L.A. County was another hurdle that they had to jump. So outside workouts for now, still voluntary. Uh, nothing is mandatory yet for USC. What do you think, Dan? Well, you know, I had heard originally that they were going to just start outside, that they were, you know, planning or, you know, figuring out how all the weight you know, stuff would work on, uh, you know, on the field. And, you know, they ended up getting there. And possibly they thought by, you know, going, going into the pods and, and, and keeping, you know, distance and, and keeping everything cleaned, you know, cleaned off after every time you use it and all of that, that they'd, uh, they'd be able to go inside. But uh, it, clearly you're, you're safer, Probably would have been safer going outside, but uh, what the heck? Uh, I mean, you can at least do that in California. Uh, there are probably places that 
that you might not want to, but uh, I don't know. I, I don't know how you negotiate almost every with all the things you have to do to get a football team ready. I'm not sure you're going to be able to negotiate every one of those with some nameless, faceless bureaucrat somewhere. I mean, you know, do you think the L.A. County has a as a guy in charge of, uh, you know, football workouts? I mean, you know, they got a lot of stuff to work with. Uh, I just don't I, I don't see how this scenario plays out to you know, getting ready for football in any kind of time frame that we'll recognize as a uh, as a fall football season. And I know people are coming up with scenarios where, well, maybe they'll just play six games or maybe they'll try to play 10 games, but maybe they'll only get six in or something like that. And, and the more you hear about that, the more you wonder, uh, does the spring look much more inviting uh, at a certain point than a, you know, really cut down uh, fall season. Um, I'm thinking maybe it does. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, like, we talked about this before. I think Pete Thamel was the first uh, college football writer that brought it up a couple months ago, and just nobody was really into it. Now, and I think people are still trying to, obviously still trying to get this done in the fall, there, there is some aversion to wanting to do spring football, but obviously it's better than having no football. But, you know, as of now, the you know, USC started phase three. Um, Keely, for, you know, what you were talking with your sources and stuff, did it feel like there was confidence that this is going to work going forward? Because I, I did a Pac-12 radio show this morning, and they asked me, is USC going to get some kind of exemption? And I'm like, well, there really isn't any sort of decree about schools. You know, we know mm-hmm. the L.A., uh, unified schools are not going to, they're going to go online only, but it's not like the government is saying USC, you can't do this. Now USC has been working with the County of Los Angeles and getting approval for all of their uh, workout stuff, but it's not been a situation where you're not allowed to do this and USC needs some kind of exemption. It's not that it, my understanding. That's not really what's happening here. Right. Yeah. And to Dan's point, I I don't think that they're in constant communication because LA County has so much stuff going on that I think they're trying to make sure that they're doing everything within the guidelines and then getting clarity. And so it just doesn't seem like the way things are trending. I mean, I think the LA school board said that you can't have any physical contact if you're K through 12, uh, those sports. So I don't know how you can justify that for uh, at a higher level. And also, I'm not even sure if LA County has released the, the guidelines or, or relaxed the guidelines about having gatherings of over 100 people. And we all know how much a football team, uh, how big that, that whole operation is. So, yeah, it just doesn't seem like a, a positive trend, like I said, that things can be done the way they're supposed to be done if you want to have a real football uh, operation or even a season. Well, you know, the other thing, um, I think the one time uh, USC went to the county was with their uh, plan to open up campus uh, and very soon thereafter basically said, well, doesn't look like we're going to be able to open up campus. So, uh, you know, that didn't go well. I mean, again, we don't know any of the details, just that USC had a plan that they thought was really workable that would bring students back. And now, you know, they don't have a plan to bring students back. So, you know, not sure how that's how that's going to work with football because it didn't work with just regular old, you know, come back and go to class. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, well, we'll keep up to date. I mean, there's there's definitely com- complex issues going on. Um, USC can come up with their plans, but you also have to you know look at what Gavin Newsom says, the governor of California, what Eric Garcetti says, the mayor of Los Angeles, and you know the LA County. They kind of work hand in hand, and you know what that what's that going to mean? Um, but speaking of government agencies, and I'm sure we'll get to some more talk about this uh, in the questions and stuff. But uh, we just found out uh, it was breaking earlier today. Uh, if you you know, were following along with USC, I think a couple, I think MIT and Harvard were the first universities to sue uh, the federal government when they, it was announced that international students that were only going to be taking online classes weren't going to be allowed to stay in the country legally, so they could be targeted by ICE. And uh, USC joined that lawsuit, and several other universities did. Uh, now they've changed the policy, so if you're an international student. Um, you are allowed to come back to campus and you're, you're allowed to stay in the country, even if you're only taking online classes. So win for the university system, win for everybody out there. So I don't know what you guys, uh, Keith, we'll start with you and then we'll go with Dan. No, I think it was a good thing. I know that just from the athletic department, there was a little bit of worry uh, about how you keep your international students, but also just in general, you your international students has been something that USC has touted as one of their strengths. I know when I went to USC, that was something that Nick, Max Nikias was very proud of, of how many international students USC had. So I think it's part of what the Trojan family is, and the fact that that doesn't have to become an issue going forward is, is definitely a great thing. Yeah, and I know it's uh, so important to the financial well-being of a school like, you know, USC. If you've got, you know, like they're now talking about, we used to think there were 5,000. I think that was more the undergrads, but uh, like a 10,000 uh, students who, you know, pay, almost all of them pay full tuition. You're talking about, uh, you know, $500 million in the bank before USC opens, uh, opens its doors every year. That's a big deal. Uh, so yeah, it would have been tough to, to send them back. Uh, I think at this point you can understand maybe what the rationale was, Hey, you can be online from anywhere. And there are, there have been some issues with mostly faculty, not so much undergrads in terms of, you know, stealing information and, and that kind of thing that, that they've indicted, you know, some faculty members. Uh, but I don't know that it's happened with students, uh, at all. So, you know, this has got to be a good thing for right now. Uh, USC did not need another big-time financial hit at this point in time. And, and that would have been tough for kids that are, you know, especially if they're a couple of years into their uh, undergraduate schooling to be going back home and all that. That would have been, I think that would have been tough. Uh, I, I, the hope would be that this all gets uh, sorted out after fall semester. Yeah, you would hope so. You don't need any more complexities. There's so many. <laughs> it's complex enough right now. You don't need anything else where, like, are you worried about, uh, you know, USC's punter who is from Australia, like, not being able to practice with the team. And he's not allowed to be in the cut. I mean, just stuff like that you don't need as far as football team goes. But just for, you know, a humanitarian standpoint, like, this, there's so many weird things going on. Why are you going to worry about these international students that intended to be on campus to take classes and it's, not out of their control. So this was a good move for everybody. So glad to see. You don't have to see any lawsuits about it. Just change the policy, move on, and we'll move on as well. Um, yeah, because, uh, oh, because oh, uh, real quick, it, you know, they weren't the ones who, you know, it looked like USC was going to bring students back for a number, you know, of classes and then quickly had to change the policy. 
you can't expect kids, you know, from outside the country to be able to adjust on a dime and 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 go a different direction. Uh, that wasn't on them. Yeah, I mean, people getting leases and stuff early on. I mean, you're you know, it's hard to picture. You're like, well, you need to know what's going on three weeks before the season starts. But there's so many other things in place before that. Um, you know, because you always are assuming you know school's happening, a season's happening, and all that. And now, now we can't because everything's up in the air. Um, other newsy stuff. Uh, yesterday, we saw a tweet from former USC quarterback JT Daniels. He is uh, going to be immediately eligible to play at Georgia. So he played one year at USC, played a half of a game last year, and was redshirted. So he has three years left on his clock. And normally, when you transfer somewhere else and you're not a graduate transfer, you sit out a year. So it would have basically meant he could have... Uh, had three years to play two. Now he's going to have three years to play three and be in a competition uh, there at Georgia with another, with, with a graduate transfer quarterback. Um, but uh, I was a little surprised to be honest that, that, you know, the NCAA granted this, but it's sort of like a magic eight ball thing. It could go either way. Um, Keely, any thoughts on uh, JT Daniels and being immediately eligible? Yeah. I mean, it was surprising. I think now in hindsight, it makes sense. If you know, if you kind of have a feeling that you're going to have that, that waiver accepted. Uh, it makes his move make much more sense. Yes. Um, what I, what I, yeah, obviously, uh, what I was hearing is that it was like his waiver had to do with a personal matter. So that's why um, I think he was confident that it, it would go through. Uh, so obviously happy for JT. We always wish him nothing but the best, especially since we've been following him since his modern day days. Uh, but yeah, interesting. Definitely was surprised about that, but it, it, it kind of makes more sense now that you have the full picture. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the uh, – and we're all happy for, for JT, and it wouldn't have made any sense had he not had a pretty good – I mean, we were all looking at it as, uh, you know, this it, it didn't make any sense if he could have played uh, a year rather than sit out, get a USC degree, and then still have two more years as a grad student. But uh, uh, something in there they felt good about, um, and – I'm not sure if USC fans say, yeah, reverse the circumstances exactly. And let's say JT's a Georgia guy trying to come to USC. Does he get made eligible? I think most people say no, probably not. Uh, there are ways that this this works and, and ways it doesn't. I know uh, the Kentucky people are complaining. They've got a transfer from Auburn who transferred like five months before JT they still haven't gotten the NCAA to even hear hear their uh, their uh, you know plea to get him eligible. And the people at, at uh, Georgia, I was looking on their uh, their fans' reaction, and the first reaction was a guy who said, oh, "How come it took so long to get him eligible? Uh, Justin Fields got eligible immediately when he went to Ohio State." So people have all different ways of of looking at this, but uh, they must have known something. They 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 had to know something. It it really would not have made any sense, especially with uh, the uh, the other uh, transfer that's a uh, quarterback transfer from Wake Mo- Wake Forest, the grad transfer Jamie Newman, a really athletic, uh, talented quarterback. It wouldn't have made you know a lot of sense, I don't think, for JT to go there. I mean, he, he'd have gone somewhere else maybe, but uh, but somehow the, the thing with Georgia, they, they really had a good feeling about, and now it turns out they were right. Yeah. 
Um, well, good for JT Daniels. I mean, I've, I've said a lot of people kind of gave him, were criticizing him because he didn't play that well his freshman year. I've always said, hey, this was, that was more about what the system was than anything else. Um, so really happy to see him get an opportunity there. We'll see if he, you know, competes. It's a lot to do. He's got to move across country, new system, still recovering from the knee injury. So you have to make sure he's hundred percent healthy. And that was one of the other reasons I thought it'd be make sense to stay at USC one more year, because you'll probably get to play a bunch. USC blows out a bunch of teams and you can prove to everyone that your knee is fine. Uh, you're not going to be relied on to be in the man. Now he's moving across country. And has to really bounce back uh, from this knee surgery and try to win that job. So, um, but we wish him the best of luck. Well, the you know the COVID nineteen thing might be playing in his favor. For example, if we, it, it looks like almost under every circumstance it's going to get delayed, which would be good uh, for JT. If it gets moved into the spring, it'll probably be really good because half the the really top quarterbacks in the country might not even play in the spring. Um, and so, uh, I know I saw, uh, an interview from gosh, a guy that used to be, I guess, a quarterback at Georgia. And I think he was a coach, uh, Buck Ballou, who has seen video on JT and, and we are hearing, you know, some people who've watched him, uh, throwing around down in Athens and they're like pretty taken by JT's arm. He probably has a better arm than anybody that they've seen at Georgia in a while. And, and so he's going to have a chance if, you know, they can run the ball and they can protect the quarterback. And, and the SEC isn't a place where they necessarily have shut down, uh, you know, secondaries because they don't see those great, great quarterbacks with the great arms. And so it'd be inter- uh, we saw what happened last year when, uh, uh, when LSU got somebody like that and boom, uh, you could throw the ball. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, where this goes. I will tell you my my dream scenario for USC fans is uh, there are people who are talking about if they have to cut season back to just conference games only for all conferences. Let's say that's how it ends up. Everybody just plays conference game that with five power five conferences. How do you get down to four teams when no one's playing one another? There are no cross conference games. Uh, And so. Some people are suggesting that you go to an eight-game play, eight-team playoff this year, and so in that scenario, I've got USC and Georgia matched up. Uh, Keaton Slovis against uh, JT Daniels. Wow! Uh, and 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 we'll see. Maybe uh, maybe that'll be fun. Wow! That definitely would be fun. I mean, Keely, he goes there if he wins the job. Not, I mean, the, it's going to be tough, but if he wins the job. You're starting. You're the starting quarterback in the SEC with a playoff caliber roster around you. I mean, that's a that's a big win for JT. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, we all know how the gumbo offense was not suitable for any quarterback. So the fact that JT, no offense to T. Martin, would have a a, a good offense to work with, I think that would do wonders for him. Uh, it- and some people are saying that he's ideally suited for the offense. They have a new offensive coordinator. I don't know this for sure. I'm, I'm, I just know that I'm seeing that, that he fits uh, what, what they want to do uh, with the quarterback. So we'll see. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's see. So we had that. Uh, and then, you know, this was, we've talked about this a little bit, uh, not on this show, uh, you know, with you guys, but uh, the bigger news came out about conference only games. Um, for the Pac-12, which pretty much seemed inevitable. But the, 
we get a lot of talk about the Alabama and Notre Dame games. Maybe we wait for the questions for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but orig- like one of my initial thoughts, guys, was because Stanford and U- and Notre Dame and USC all play, and they, you know, it's it's sort of like Notre Dame's a conference game for Stanford and USC. The schedule gets screwed up because they have to, you know, book that every year. And USC and Stanford end up playing early in the season. I thought that was salvageable potentially um, that you could use that if you're going to go like say it's a ten game schedule instead of having USC add Washington State or Oregon State. Uh, and Stanford adding one of the teams that they miss in the South, could they keep the Notre Dame game on the schedule? I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that's a possibility, but w- what do you guys think about it? Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, I'd ideally love to see that, uh, that where every team try to save one uh, one out-of-conference game. Just the idea of mixing and matching the weekends and all of that, I mean, you can certainly do it in the Pac-12 because you're going to have most of December uh, you know, to do it. But it's interesting, USC, if you look at the schedule and, and, and they, they're trying, people are trying to evaluate who's most helped and hurt by, uh, uh, by a conference-only schedule. And I think USC is close to the top in both. I think by losing uh, Alabama and Notre Dame, USC certainly loses the best two games uh, you know, of the year and maybe in the country almost. But it also helps itself because it loses two games it might not over, you know, otherwise lose, and maybe it runs the table in the Pac-12. So you could, you know, look at USC's situation and say, boy, it's a shame to lose those games, and boy, what a chance this gives USC, uh, you know, to to go the other direction and 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 win all the all their games. So so I don't know. And the other part of that. If you're evaluating fall against spring, uh, the one thing about the spring is maybe you come back, you've got a vaccine, uh, the numbers are way down, everybody's brought everybody back to campus, maybe you play the regular schedule all the way through, and you open up with a USC-Alabama game in January that's kind of like a bowl game or whatever. Uh, Who knows? how? I mean, there are so many you know, scenarios that we could come up with. But uh, so if it would get back the, a full schedule in USC, Alabama, and Notre Dame, uh, that kind of, in, in my mind, kind of tilts my thinking toward, well, let's go to the spring if you have to. Yeah. Since any we, thoughts on Akili? Yeah, well, since we don't have any questions about a spring scenario, I just want to jump in with my own questions. How sure. do you see that playing out, though? Just because I think I talked about this on tunnel vision i know a lot of people who are former players or in the nfl right now are talking about how if college students were to play spring and then somehow go back into a fall season that's really hard on their bodies and like what do you do with draft eligible seniors like do they skip out how do you see the logistics working as far as that goes dan yeah i know and i know urban meyer was and i guess matt liner the fox guys were really strong about uh, they didn't want to see guys do that. And I think I think you'd have to go to maybe a 10-game schedule at the most if you went to the spring and probably get it started as soon as you could. How early can you do it? And, you know, not everybody's got the same geography and weather. But And try to get it over as soon as possible. And maybe next uh, fall you have to back it off, uh, you know, as much as you can. So, you know. Uh, you, but you'd have to take that into consideration without any doubt. You'd have to, you know, figure out. I mean, you'd be losing spring ball, and so 
you know, you're talking about 15 practices there that you wouldn't, uh, you know, have that you normally do. So that's taking some of the wear and tear off uh, off their bodies. But uh, it's it's definitely a factor as to the draft guys. I don't question uh, that the, you know, the num- the number one guys, uh, you know, Fields and, and Lawrence and those guys, you would, he- you know, think their agents would be saying, no, no way, you can't do this. How far down that would go into the uh, first round, I don't know. Are there guys who are number 25 and, and they're, you know, think, hey, I can end up number 10 if I have a really good year? And where does the NFL come? I mean, we keep hearing that the NFL is saying, no, we're not going to move our April draft date. But you would think when push comes to shove, the NFL would want to know as much about these guys as possible and hope as many guys could play this season as possible uh, so they don't have to be guessing. Because most of the guys who would sit out are the first round draft guys and you would have people uh, in the NFL making those first round draft picks without a uh, last season to see on these guys in the uh, you know coming out of college, that would be a tough. That'd be a tough way to draft. I you know I grew up with the Cincinnati Bengals and I know that's how they used to draft. You know blindfold throwing a dart. I think half the time, and uh, that's not a good way if I'm an NFL team to want to go into the draft without seeing these guys how they develop uh, in their final season. So. So, but, you know, that could be a problem if the NFL says, nope, we're not moving the draft. It's going to be April. I don't know. Yeah, a and lot the, of complexities doing that, Keely. Just, there's so many different yeah. factors. And, and, you know, talking about having student athletes play two seasons in one calendar year, there's a challenge there, too. Mm-hmm. And wouldn't this be where it would be beneficial to have some type of college football czar where they'd step in and say, hey, this is not working. SEC, you're lagging behind. Let's make the decision now. We're going to spring football. Let's start an initiative to wear masks, get this under control, and then we'll have time to plan out how things are feasible in the spring. I don't know. I feel like the fact that you have five power five, you have the conferences just kind of floating in free fall, making their own decisions. It doesn't bode well to try and get something on track in the future, potentially for spring or whatnot. Well, you know, the SEC definitely thought the, uh, they got kind of got a knife in their back from the Big Ten because they thought the Big Ten was going to keep them up uh, up to speed on what they were doing. The Big Ten comes out and announces conference only. And I know that was a shock to the SEC. So whether that gets people back in line where everybody says no from now and we got to do everything together, or does that more tell everybody, uh, you know, every man for himself? The problem the SEC would have is if it looks like the ACC now is more leaning to conference only as well. Big 12 is kind of hard to know, but once three have gone to conference only, I'm not sure how it works for the Big 12 or the SEC to say, no, we're going to do it our way. Once they've lost the three, uh, what does that do for the playoffs and all, all the rest of it? Uh, they they do have to get together, I, I would think. Uh, and can they? I don't know. Yeah. And with no czar, this is, this is why the, I feel like the conference – season can work because at least you have leadership and a smaller group to control if there's any way to make it work i think that's a good way to do it where just you can't have this rudderless ship trying to navigate through uh the coronavirus crisis um in college football you really needed to bring it down to where there's some strong leadership you could argue is larry scott a strong leader no but at least there's a leader it's a clear leader 
there's one guy running the Pac-12, and you can control that a lot easier. There's a lot more flexibility. And I think I said this on the Pac-12 uh, radio show this morning, where what, how, as far as sports go, Dan, like, what's more inflexible than college football? Like, it's, you, you schedule games 10 years in advance. Like, there's <laughs> no, now you could get something like, what if Larry Scott's like, well, Cal and Oregon State are supposed to play next week, but Oregon State had this rash of viruses and they were supposed to have a bye. So we're going to swap this like on the fly, swapping games to make sure you get them all in. Like we could go from the most inflexible sport to the most flexible in one season. That would be really interesting to me. Yeah. And I do think there are people talking about those kinds of scenarios or playing uh, uh, two teams playing twice, you know, because they're ready to go and, you know, they're, they're not going to try to get in a, you know, nine or 10 conference games that they're going to just get in as many and maybe they'll count one or they won't. I, I think there's all kind there's stuff being talked about that we've never heard uh, being talked about before. I mean, it's uh, so <clears throat> I think one of the biggest difficulties is going to be coming to an agreement on testing. What kind of testing, how much testing, all of that, uh, how much reporting, how much transparency there is. I think uh, I think that's a big issue. I mean, there is no agreement right now as to what's going on. I mean, there are people, Ohio State, you know, shut down the voluntary workout six days ago. Today comes back out and says, hey, we're fine, good to go, no problem, let's go after them. And I know there are people saying, oh, yeah, right, uh, what exactly did happen and, and what happened to make it okay today? We don't know. Nobody knows. Uh, those are going to be problems, I think. Yeah. All right. Well, why don't we take a quick break and we'll come back and uh, answer some questions. All right. Back in a minute. Hey, we're back on the Parastyle podcast. Keely, what do we got for questions today? email from Steve in Poway who says, Dear Ryan, Dan, and Keeley, well, it finally happened. I've been expecting the Pac-12 to announce the conference-only schedule since May, but once the Big Ten did it this week, I had a feeling the dominoes would start to fall very quickly. Assuming they continue to fall all around the country now that two huge conferences have started things off, my question is, what happens to Notre Dame this year? First, USC Notre Dame will not happen for the first time in 1940 since 1945. Second, if you're Notre Dame, do you end up joining up with the ACC this fall, at least for this season? Otherwise, once the domino effect is over, who else would they would be left on their schedule except maybe BYU, also left drifting in the 2020 COVID win? Steve and Poway. Yeah, I think there, there's no question that uh, I think the pack or the ACC has considered Notre Dame kind of a semi, you know, uh, conference member. In, in in all the other sports anyway, and and halfway there in football, and there's no question it's worked out well for both te- both sides. Notre Dame uh, it gives them winnable games, kind of you know the kind of games, they, but it gives them a s- certainty to its schedule. And for the uh, ACC, it gives them Notre Dame on their schedule, and you get to bring Notre Dame in and you know, every few years, and, and that's really a big deal for the ACC. So that's worked out well for both of them, and they're going to keep that going. So even if they have to declare Notre Dame 
kind of an unofficial official member this year. Uh, I think they keep all the Notre Dame games. And the one game they don't want to lose for the conference schedule is uh, Clemson is, uh, is headed to Notre Dame this year. And so that they're not giving that game up. So uh, Notre Dame is uh, all in uh, with the ACC this year. I don't think there's any question about it. It's worked well for both of them. Notre Dame, I think, gets half a TV share from the ACC and keeps their own uh, TV uh, contract going with the uh, with the NBC. I mean, it's it's worked really well. Uh, I better than I, I think any anybody thought. But yeah, Notre Dame. Uh, the ACC has been really good uh, to Notre Dame and, and would be so at this time, I think, without a doubt. Yeah, my guess is once the ACC announces uh, conference only, you're going to see Notre Dame be included in that. And it probably would work out the easiest just to add that team in there and they'll figure out what the schedule needs to be. It helps uh, Notre Dame. You know, it helps everybody. You know, you can hold out some hope that the Stanford and USC would still be on the schedule. But that I think that would have to be a big conversation between the ACC, Notre Dame, and the Pac-12 to uh, make all that work. But it's for for Notre Dame, I've, there was a good article that uh, Pete Sampson wrote. He used to be uh, part of the Notre Dame 24-7 site. He's with The Athletic now about Notre Dame being independent and why it's important to them. And it wasn't really about the money. It's actually, from what his story was saying, it's a losing proposition money-wise. He, they would make more money if they were in the Big Ten or if they were in the uh, SEC or the ACC or whatever. I think the ACC and the the Big Ten were the two ones, that the closest that they could be into. Um, I think it was the AD that was saying they would make a lot more money with that. Because I think the TV contract for the NBC is only like $10 million a year or something. And, uh, I think, it's maybe, not I as think maybe 15 but uh, yeah, it doesn't, you know, you get 55 in the, uh, in the Big Ten. Yeah. So, and and they, they also get, I think, a half a share in the uh, Atlantic Coast. So that may be another 16 million. But then you're, you know, you're talking 31 million. To, that, that's what you get in the Pac-12. <laughs> yeah. He but, said that the AD said that they would make more money in any of the conferences, even the Pac-12, uh, which I believe is last now or it's close to that. Um, so it's, it's really more about, uh, and I forget there was like three factors they wanted to try to do, but I mean, they're, they're, it's important to the alumni and it's important to them, but, um, it's a, it's, it's not a money winning situation. Maybe a situation like this forces their hand and they, they end up joining a conference. I don't know. Um, but it's at, at this point, if you think that Notre Dame's making like a ton of money cause they have their own TV deal, it's really not that great. It's, you know, it's six or seven games a year or whatever. And, uh, they get like 10 million bucks for it, which seems, or 15 or something. It seems really cheap, Dan. Like those are all going to be big games. I think they're toward the end of their deal with NBC, I believe. So it it probably turns out to be a good deal for NBC. And if they had to renegotiate it right now, it would probably be, uh, more money for Notre Dame. But I think, you know, I think Notre Dame decided we want the security, and went for, I can't remember exactly how many years it is, but, but yeah, they would be better. I mean, and when you say, Hey, we'd be better off in the PAC 12, you're really saying something and maybe not much better off, uh, you know, financially, but, uh, but, but, you know, just a tad, but I'll be interested to see the next time Notre Dame makes a a deal with NBC. Um, I would think, you know, unless NBC doesn't want to do, uh, you know, college football anymore. But I think it's been a really good deal for both sides uh, uh, just because it gives Notre Dame so much more freedom and independence. 
to kind of do what Notre Dame wants to do. And uh, they like doing that, you know, play games wherever they want to play them, uh, you know, play Navy. If they want to play them in Ireland, they can play them in Ireland. If they want to play them, you know, in, in Baltimore or Philadelphia, wherever they want to, you know, Notre Dame, you know, has the ability to do those kinds of games that uh, uh, nobody else really has maybe the freedom that Notre Dame has. Yeah, they, they do have a lot of freedom, but now things are up in the air a little bit. So we'll uh, we'll see where it goes. But what else we got, Keely? We have an email from Shane from Philly who says, Ryan Keeley and team, with the announcement of the Pac-12-only schedule, do you believe canceled games, Alabama and Notre Dame, could be replaced with Pac-12 opponents that were not on the original schedule, like Washington State and Oregon State? Also, assuming the Power 5 conferences all opt into a conference-only schedule, do you believe that would impact recruit- recruiting at all for USC? Thanks, and fight on, Shane from Philly. Yeah, Shane, I think... We understand that the Pac-12 has a uh, has two models for uh, conference game schedule, a nine-game schedule, which essentially wouldn't change anything, it doesn't look like, or a 10-game schedule, which would mean that for USC, if they keep all the nine games they've got now, they'd have to add either the, the Washington State or the Oregon State game. Again, this is not taking into consideration uh, that everybody's going to be able to play. I mean, Larry Scott said fairly early that you know we're planning to go, but maybe not everybody will be able to go. And I think at the time, you know, we're thinking, you know, maybe some other team. But now you might even be thinking, how difficult is it going to be for all the California schools to, uh, you know, eventually get enough clearance to practice and 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 get you know prepared for the season. And that might be one of the reasons they're going to back it off as as far as they can uh, to give you know teams time to work through their you know, local political issues and all that. I mean, I'm still telling USC that you maybe want to start thinking about, you know, if it really becomes a problem in Los Angeles, do you consider doing what USC used to do and holding preseason camp in uh, Orange County and uh, go to UC Irvine? I don't know. I mean, if the, you know, restrictions and regulations are not the same in Orange County as they would be in the, you know, city of Los Angeles, do you think about doing something like that? And so there are so there's so many things that have to happen, uh, you know, to get this, uh, you know, where you want it to go. But I, without a doubt, I think adding or switching, uh, you know, conference opponents is going to be one of them. And, and it might result in USC picking up either Oregon State or Washington State. Yeah, those are the only two teams not on USC's conference schedule. So. Doesn't re- not really exciting options. That, well, it would be fun to see uh, Nick Rolovich's offense kind of mm-hmm. roll into the Coliseum. Or yeah, it would, USC would pick up a home game because they play five conference road games this year. So if they do a ten, USC would have an extra home game. And people will probably re- uh, point out that uh, Washington State or Oregon State uh, arriving at the Coliseum, they're replacing Notre Dame. You know, and that might be one of those themes that. USC fans will go uh, grind their teeth as they think about the difference in, uh, in, in the opponent. And speaking of Notre Dame coming to USC, we don't have a specific question about it, but I know I got a lot of tweets about it. What do you guys think will, what do you guys think will happen in regards to the home and away schedule with USC and Notre Dame? How do you get that figured out? Can you even like go there at this point, given that we don't know what happens with spring football or the 2021 season yet? 
I think so far what we're seeing is, for example, uh, Oregon loses their Ohio State game. They're going to play it, and, and next year they're supposed to go to Columbus. It looks like next year Oregon's going to Columbus. Um, I think maybe the same thing is happening with Michigan was coming to Washington this year. I think next year they're going to, they're going to Michigan. Uh, so the way schedules are plotted out, as Ryan said, so many years in advance uh, and home and away and all of that, I don't think Notre Dame could give up uh, USC as a home game next year. I mean, that's one of the big, that's one of the big issues that, you know, USC would end up playing two straight home games and uh, Notre Dame home games, two straight games in South Bend. And, you know, that's the way. So that, that's what really makes losing that game in the Coliseum tough because I don't think there's any way Notre Dame could say, yeah, we'll come to, we'll come there next year and we'll back it off the year because all those years, you know, we're talking seven, eight, 10 years out. Uh, Notre Dame's got a schedule they're locked into. And, and so it just doesn't work. USC's a big part of Notre Dame's home schedule. I mean, they, you know, their alumni uh, go into, uh, you know, drawings for, you know, so many thousands of the seats and because it's not easy to buy season tickets and all that. And, and there are people who plan out years ahead as to you know, how they're going to try to get, uh, you know, Notre Dame home game tickets. So I just don't think you could probably do that. Yeah. And I think the big the big problem is it's not like you play the game uh, every every year the same week. When mm-hmm. it's Notre Dame, at Notre Dame, you're playing in October. When you're at USC, you're playing in November. So to, to swap them or to delay them, it screws everything up, like Dan said. So, yeah, I don't know. That's just one of those many, many, many questions that we just don't know. Mm-hmm. Oh, we have a question from Dan Class of 1962. Basically, he wanted to know, could the Pac-12 choose another conference and do like a round robin type of schedule where maybe they could fill those two games with a, with a different conference or do you think it's just solely conference only well i think this the whole thinking about uh playing conference only is you have total control of what's going on and total ability to as ryan said replace a game with one team with another team uh you know at the relatively at the last minute that's not the kind of thing you could do if you go out of the conference because teams don't have that. But in the conference, you might know, well, this team's got some issues with COVID and that team does, but these two are going to be good to go. They may not be matched up that week, but we'll match them up just so we can play as many games as possible and we'll try to get those other games involved at the end of the year when we have some time for makeup game. Again, can't do that if it's two different conferences. So I think that was the, the, the thinking in coming up with conference-only schedules is you have complete control of all the elements of putting the schedule, a schedule together, and you absolutely lose, lose all that control if you involve another conference because then they've got all their own conference matchup issues. So I'm thinking they're staying away from, from anything like that. We have two more questions. The next one is kind of a a hard uh, turn from what we've been talking about. It's from Gerardo, who says, 
Do you believe that with the right coaching staff and with one or two years of top 10 recruiting classes, USC can make up the needed depth and talent needed to be able to compete at the highest levels after having two underwhelming recruiting classes? Thanks, Gerardo. Yeah, no question. I mean, yeah, yeah. they're in the Pac-12. Uh, you start with that, and they're USC. Uh, you know, what else do you have to be other than, uh, uh, you know, really well coached, physically tough, and you know, the kind of USC program that under the right coach always uh, does well. I mean, there's nothing has changed about that, that equation. And uh, so, yeah, uh, with, you know, is this coaching staff uh, with this head coach, is that a matchup that's good enough? Or do you need this kind of a, uh, you know, competitive recruiting and we can only feel like it would be competitive in practice and you know on the field uh would they be would they need another uh head coach uh to make it happen again we've said this a bunch of times you get the right head coach usc's had four of them you get the right head coach you win national championships at usc it's you know it's like a formula uh and so i would say staff matters a lot I mean, if you look at all the great head coaches and that had dynasties and, you know, Bobby Bowden and, and, and Joe Paterno and, uh, and Bear Bryant, uh, a lot of the coaching was done by the assistants and they trusted them and they were really good. And an awful lot of them got head coaching job. Uh, but, uh, but you still had somebody in charge who was really in charge, really knew what they wanted to do. Could that happen at USC just by, uh, improving the recruiting. I don't know. I don't know that we've seen it happen much ever before. We've seen guys win who were kind of dropped into a job because somebody left and they had enough talent and they go on and win a national championship. But as far as building a program that way, I think that's a tough way to tough way to go without the, the right guy at the top also. Yeah, you need that. You need, and it was a couple of bad uh, recruiting years, but the USC is going to recruit well. That's part of USC's DNA. So I think you're always going to get good recruiting as long as you have decent coaching. Uh, just bringing in some better assistance, the recruiting has gone way up. So, but that that's a huge part of what USC is. I mean, it's the amazing thing. I was just thinking about the Benerick Award. You had uh, 13 guys in the Pac-12, three from USC, with three nominees from the 77th best defense in the country last year. Uh, USC ties, uh, I guess it was Pittsburgh and LSU for the most nominees for the Benerick Award. So what you're saying is, wow, USC really had talent on that defense last year. They just didn't show it. And that's exactly correct. Yeah. Well, we have one final question, and it's from Dan, class of 1962. He says, COVID testing is basically a snapshot in time. It is not a vaccination where once you get tested, you will never get the virus. In fact, you can be tested negative and an hour later get the virus. So how often will players be tested? Will the test results be known immediately after the, te- after the test the same day as given, or there'll be a lag in results before players can get on the field? Testing is an ongoing pro- process for accuracy. Keely, do you have any information on the testing protocol? Fight on and win, Dan, class of 1962. So I've been trying to gather how this all works. Um, It first started on Wednesday because that was uh, June 24th was the first day that players showed up uh, for voluntary workouts. So 
to my understanding, they get tested between Monday and Wednesday. We get the results around Friday, Friday afternoon, and I think we get them right away. I don't think USC puts a pause between when they tell us. And USC doesn't have to tell us, so it's a credit to them that they do uh, disclose those numbers. So they've actually had 201 tests administered and only four positive. The thing that uh, is interesting to me, it's it's a nasal swab administered by... uh, health professionals at the USC Health Center. So they, I know, Ryan, you've had different, you've had like the mouth swab, you've done the nose swab yourself. They actually have like a health professional stick it all the way up their nose. So it's like one of the most accurate ways you can test for for COVID. The thing that was, raised my eyebrows a little bit about it though, was uh, when phase two started, that's when players could move on campus. Uh, They took their test initially and then, had the players still move in? And I asked around about it, and I was like, it, are the players quarantined after their test before they get the results? And the answer I got was, that's not what LA County... Uh, LA County hasn't put any guidelines on, on quarantine a- after a test. So it is positive that players... Or it is possible that players could come to campus COVID positive, not know it, move in, interact with people, and then infect them before they get the results. So that's the only thing where I was a little confused about how that that necessarily stops the spread but overall i think usc has put a lot of thought into things i think they're just trying to uh, do things according to la county and whatnot so do they have to send uh the samples somewhere to get uh read or do they have the capacity to do that on campus or at the health center do we know that I'm not 100%, but based on the way it was talked about in press releases and what I've gathered, it sounds like it's done through the health center and it's not through an outside third-party company or whatnot. Interesting. So they should be able to get relatively, you know, in the next – 24-hour turnaround, I would think. Is that is that not correct? Which would maybe suggest that there is a third party involved if it's taking a couple of days. But I don't know how much the volume that they're processing because I think everyone on campus, whether or not you're part of the athletic department, is getting mm. tested. So it just might be a high volume in general where student-athletes might not have a, a necessarily a priority on the test results. I don't know. I, it's, I think it's there's a lot of question marks uh, to be figured out. But it, I mean, it is true. It's a it's a moment in time um, yeah. you're capturing. And so there's going to be the Pac-12 declared, I believe, Keely, there would be weekly antibody and uh, virus tests. So you're, if you're constantly testing someone and you're monitoring for symptom, symptoms and fever and stuff. Yeah, I mean, you you could take a test this morning and then, you know, if they go out to a bar or something that night and get sick, then, yeah, they're, they're, obviously that can happen. But they're, I think they're trying to keep everyone as relatively safe as possible. You're constantly testing, you know, once, twice or whatever a week. Um, and you're, so it's not going to be foolproof, but you're going to catch as many as you can. Uh, and you know, once, once someone does get it, then, you know, okay, these are the people they've been in contact with. That's where all the contact tracing, I think becomes important. And you can mm-hmm. kind of back it off from, from there, but it is definitely a moment in time, but when you're constantly doing it, I mean, at least you're staying on top of things and, that's why it would have been really hard to have FCS football games, to have high school football games, JCs. I don't think you would have the resources to do that level of testing, which isn't foolproof. Dan, yeah. class of 1962. It's not foolproof, but it's it's pretty good. Um, but yeah, it's certainly not like a foolproof thing. But just to do that is expensive. And outside of like the power five programs, I'm not sure other programs would be able to do that at the college level. Yeah. I think that's the rationale for 
uh, for teams like the Big Ten backing out of, of, of playing certainly FCS games, but even, you know, mid-American conference teams. And, and I think they, there were 33, uh, you know, FBS uh, teams that the Big Ten's not playing. And one of the reasons is they can't do that. They don't have the money to do the weekly testing. I know some of the FCS teams were saying, we're going to test them at the beginning of the year. And unless you have symptoms, unless you think you need to be tested, we're not testing you. Well, do you want to bring that team, you know, you get a win, but do you want to bring them into your stadium and possibly uh, infect a bunch of your guys? And so I think that's uh, one of the reasons you're not going to see, you know, the guarantee games, even in the SEC. I think they're a little bit, you know, gun shy about bringing in uh, some of those schools that they have liked to bring in in their four non-conference games because they won't be able to be very sure that those teams are, are, are tested enough uh, to be safe to play. And I mean, I think this goes to my point, my Debbie Downer point about how I just don't see like how this is feasible because ideally you would want to test every single day like professional leagues are doing, like the NBA is doing in their bubble. But how feasible is that for an athletic department who's struggling already given coronavirus just across the nation? You know, I, I, I just it doesn't seem like it makes sense. I don't think that if you're not going to do it as well as professional leagues, why are you going to put 18 to 20 year old student athletes in this in this way but that's my personal opinion but yeah that makes that's what dan class of 1962 is saying is accurate it's just a moment in time and it's not uh it doesn't cover the whole week yeah i think i think an easy principle to understand is if we're still in a time when social distancing is the norm you can't play football it's that Mm -hmm. simple football is anti-social distancing in almost every part of football you know, from the the locker rooms to the you know, every, uh, trainer's room to, you know, everything you do in practice, uh, all, there's no part of that that's not uh, uh, anti-social distancing. So if we get to a place and we're still required as normal people to socially distance, you can't play football. It's that simple. Until they say... Don't worry about social distancing. You can't have football. Yeah, and full disclosure, I've gotten questions from parents uh, whose sons play on the team, and and they're asking me if I can't, as an adult, go back into my my job, my place of of livelihood. Wh- how is my son supposed to do what he needs to do? You know, to it's it's if we're as normal people not supposed to have contact, be socially distanced, how are we expecting? Uh, players to do that it just I think for parents it makes them a little uneasy and it doesn't fully add up well for USC if you can't bring students to sit in the classroom the same classroom with one another how can you turn a group of students loose to you know lean on one another and bleed on one another and sweat on one another for a couple hours a day you can't you just can't Mm -hmm. you can't so we got to get to a place where they finally say you know what I think we're good enough to go with the numbers and all that. We don't have to keep doing the social distancing thing. And how soon is that going to happen? Yep. Yeah, Keely, did you bring this up on uh, Tunnel Vision? Was the like they, all these rules like the NFL, like you can't exchange jerseys? So like, okay, so you could like smash each other and tackle each other. To the <laughs> yeah, ground. yeah. But don't NFL exchange jerseys because you yeah. might get the virus. Like, okay. Yeah, the yeah, the, the mental. Uh, gymnastics you have to do for some of these things just is a little too apparent. It doesn't make sense. 
Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. They're doing it in baseball. I don't even know what they're going to do in hockey, but if, if the PGA golf tour can't figure out how to even allow spectators and all, the only contact in that sport is between the driver and the, you know, the ball, I mean, and, and, and they've got to, you know, distance everybody, not, you know, just socially distance them. They got to distance them completely. That's golf. You know, how do you, how do you get the football if you can't even do golf in a normal way? You know, it's not a team sport. There's no contact. How can yeah, you do football? Yeah, it's weird. Like, I've, you know, I've played a lot of golf during this because it's one of the safe things you can do. Um, but yeah, they, they basically you have a pair, like you have a quarantine pair, the caddy and the golfer. And like, if the caddy tests positive or something, like it impacts the golfer, but that's, you know, that's what's going on. I think they were, they had a couple of guys that tested positive, but they were like false positives and they came back negative, but they sort of, they had these three guys like playing together, um, on the last tournament I was watching because they had all come from this, like tested positive, but were on their way back. And then they were all cleared to play, but they wanted to only keep them and, you know, they kept them away from other people it's really easy to keep socially distant in golf. You know, there's no interaction between uh, the players. Like you're on a tee box. You could be, you know, a few feet apart, but they just stand further apart than that. And that's it, you know, and you could have fans, but they're, you know, usually they're gathering around certain areas. So I get that. Um, it's not like you, you have stands for like around the 18th green and things like that, but um, you know, maybe trying to keep them distant, but that's, they're going through all these rigor. There's all this rigmarole for golf, and it's so so much easier just intrinsically to to golf and be away from people. Then you can't do that in football. If you're playing football, you know, even being on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. If you're a walk on on the sideline that never plays, you're going to be near all those guys. It's not like you're going to be far away from them. And then of course you're on the field tackling people. Like yeah, that you, you can't be socially distant and tackle people. Mm-hmm. No. I mean, they're even, you know, they're coming up with baseball rules, you know, how you're allowed to, you know, you're not allowed to argue with the umpire, for God's sake, because you get too close. I mean, that's okay. Those are their rules. And they want to say that we're going to do it this way. You can't make those similar rules as goofy as they are for football. There just is no way you can make those rules. They don't work for football. Yeah. All right. Well, End, I, ending the pod on a positive note, guys. <laughs> we are positive. I, you know, when we did Tunnel Vision, I was like, uh, I don't know, but I feel I feel a little bit more positive, Keely. Like I feel like <laughs> conference schedules could work. I think that there's makes, some possibilities there. And I think if the numbers go, yeah, I think the numbers go down toward the end of the summer, and they get back on the field, and they don't, you know, start until October. You might be able to do it. You might be able to pull it off. If they went to an 18 playoff, people might get excited about that. So, you know, you might miss Alabama Notre Dame, but maybe you you get your team in the playoffs and people are excited about that. I don't know. Maybe they have a week at the end of the year in December where everybody gets to play the one uh, non-conference game they wanted to play and and couldn't. I mean, I, I do think there is maybe still a scenario. And, I mean, we're hearing stuff out. Uh, yesterday today that maybe the vaccine uh, gets here earlier that maybe they're doing uh, lots of uh, uh, you know where they do the the big tests in uh, by the end of the summer and that they've given them permission to start manufacturing vaccine before they're uh, you know totally approved so that if they get approved 
they don't have to then start uh, uh, manufacturing it. It'll all be ready to go. I mean, you got to hit a whole bunch of things that all have to go right uh, for that you know scenario to happen. But I don't think the door is completely closed. But man, there are a lot of things have to happen for that to to work out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hoping right. I'm wrong. That's all I gotta say. Hoping yeah. I'm wrong. <laughs> As you, you know, the good thing is you're usually wrong, so that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope another one happens this time yeah. around. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks everybody for uh, tuning in. Hope you guys enjoyed this edition of the Peristyle Podcast. That's Keely, your Dan Weber. I'm Ryan Abraham. Please stay safe out there, and uh, we will talk to you next time.